being able to just hit file open and everything comes in your drums your effects your 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 everything that you came up with i just personally find it much more creative than sort of this experimental cable you know jumble thank you for joining us and welcome to the focus right pro podcast this is a mostly bi-monthly show where we dive into the cutting edge technology behind professional audio products my name is Dan Hughley, and I'm the U.S. Marketing Manager for Focusrite and Focusrite Pro. On the show today, I'm joined by Ted White, Focusrite Pro's Global Marketing Manager, and Bruce Summers, owner of Sir Inc. and Undercurrent Studios. We'll discuss analog versus digital, being both an IT and audio professional, we'll use fax machines as a metaphor for technology, and a whole lot more. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, how you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Well, thank you for having us into your uh, your studio here today. Uh, we really like a lot of what you have going on here, from your stand-up desk. Do to... you like the view? You like the view? I yeah, do. Yeah. I, I admire the view on the way in. Um, it's usually all blocked off, you know, when I'm working. But you know, <laughs> I open it up and pretend like I work in this. But yeah, it, it is a great view for those of you who obviously aren't here. Uh, we're looking out over uh, Woodland Hills, uh, in California, which is a great place to be. So, Bruce, um, how did your career start out, and what brought you into sound originally? Uh, I started out by what most people have done. I've been in a band uh, since I was a kid. I, I saw a band play, and I said I got to do that and start playing drums when I was really young. Uh, decided that audio recording music was really important to me, so uh, I used to record on the on a cassette back in the day and then two cassette recorders and into a mixer like a lot of people did and bounce tracks and just just got a real thrill out of hearing, you know, what I just did. And so that creative part became something really important to me that I wanted to pursue more and more. And that led me to engineering. And uh, when I went to college at Ohio University, uh, I got into their audio program, their communications program. They did a little eight-track studio. And I had a great mentor with my friend Sean Bevan, who uh, has done a lot of work with uh, Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson and a lot of other things. And we both were in school together, kind of figuring it out. There weren't a lot of people in that audio department, so it was really fun. And yeah, once I got into that, I realized I really wanted to be an engineer, producer, artist, musician, and uh, went to New York City after I graduated college, worked at Sigma Sound Studios at 53rd and Broadway, interned there, and then came back and worked there for a while. Uh, my position was fruit and donut boy, so I'm sure... <laughs> All the interns out there can relate to that. I but, can relate uh, to that. Yeah. Uh, uh, serve uh, David Byrne, fruit and donuts. And, uh, nice. Yeah. Um, but I didn't feel I was really progressing to where I wanted to be. I'd go home at night and I had a, I just got an SPX 90, which was the big effects yeah. unit back in the, yeah, the, the Yamaha, yeah. incredible, you know, late eighties. And, yeah. uh, you know, a just a lot of records. Yeah, it was right? it was incredible. Yeah. It was my one piece of outboard gear, and it just did everything, and it was amazing to me. So I, uh, yeah, that was kind of my journey in school and and graduating and had my first position. You said you had a multi track back then. 
Were you like cassette four track? Were you rocking one of those like I was? Yeah, you know, we yeah. all kind of went down the yeah. all, all us audio geeks kind of went down the same. Not well, that you're an audio geek, the but ta- you know, Tascam, the Porta, the Porta One, Porta One. Like yeah. I think the Fostex was like Fostex, the, right? Was X15 like or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I used, I used to love to read about all of it too. Like yeah. Musician Magazine was like I was a sure. huge fan, and uh, and just you know looking back on it, it's funny because there's so many similar people, but it felt kind of like we were. You know, the only one, like I had a little group of yeah, people and Sean and myself, but yeah, but, it, but for yeah. us it was, you know, it was our whole world, you know, that sure. stuff was amazing. Were you an analog or digital guy when you first started out? I, I, I think everyone was, at least at my age, uh, everyone was analog starting out to a certain okay. degree, well, right? You, you look very young, which I, I didn't want to date you there. So I wanted to kind of, yeah. kind of, kind of feel that out a little bit. Yeah. I, uh, I definitely started analog. Um, I used to. I remember when I was at Sigma Sound, they had a uh, some power surge or something like that. They had a, uh, an, a two SSLs and an Eve, and I just remember coming in one morning and all the modules were out on the SSL. Everything was it was uh, 56 input channels. So today that would be not as big, but it was huge. And every single uh, capacitor, every single every single one blown, you know, had blown, and we had to go and module and solder and you know all this stuff. And I just remember that, and I remember aligning the tape you know on the on the studios and the 24s a24s and so fatiguing and so it's funny my background of being a maintenance person when it came to analog gear and then never having it quite be as consistent having engineers come and do recalls and then the recall wasn't totally right on an ssl you used to you know align and do it manually and turn a knob until the lights lit up so i used to do recalls and, and i was like this is awful like i i just didn't it didn't appeal to me so i know it's really a hot thing right now with analog and vinyl but i read a book right around the same time by nicholas negroponte called being digital mm-hmm. and it described the fax machine which is the worst thing that ever happened to technology ever which is basically you have an analog idea you write it down somebody then types it makes it digital you know on a computer then you put it into a machine which scans it and turns the digital back into analog then it goes uh, through an analog phone line on the other end, then converts it back to digital. And it was this whole thing that laid it out, kind of why it was so crazy, as yeah. opposed to just being digital and staying digital. And it it really resonated with me. So for me, you know, when you say analog and digital, I, I just wanted to mix. Mm-hmm. And then when I walked away and came back, it sounded the same. And then when I went to my car, it sounded the way it sounded, just how it did before. Yeah. And that was it. I didn't care about warm, cold, hot, breath air whatever it was i liked what i was listening to in front of my two speakers i wasn't looking for a surprise so to speak so i didn't want it to be inconsistent so when digital came out and i was the first in line i bought an adat still have it you know and then another one and another one i thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread i think it was 91 or 92 yeah. something like that yeah yeah the adat adat was the 90s definitely the 90s yeah, and then everybody. The task, had, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the. Yeah, I had D88s. Yeah, and so I could D8. lock them to picture. Exactly. You know, SM, the and that's Cynthia. how I got into using those instead. It was incredible. I mean, I just thought you know people were still coming in, and and my wife would use the word poo pooing or coming in saying, oh, you don't have analog, you know, you have a two inch tape or whatever. And I just remember in college, like I wanted to record a song, and they had a sixteen track one inch, and I just remember, holy crap, I got to get two hundred bucks together. To go record one song for fifteen minutes right. at fifteen ips, you yeah. know, and, oh, and yeah. I feel like this is this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like so, when digital came out, and I could really, you know, just record over and over again, and just learn, really learn how to do it, you know, not not from a school or whatever, but actually just doing it at that point, and that to me was the 
greatest thing in the world with anything digital when it came to that. I could really learn to do it because there wasn't this high price of it, you know, of of, uh, of acceptance and in, in getting into it. Yeah, so, yeah. The well, that's why that's why it took off. Yeah, it allowed more people to do that. Yeah. But it, but there was a lot of you know I would say even until like five or six years ago there was still a lot of like oh you're recording digital huh you know? yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah just yeah. recording what I think is the best quality sound I could possibly get you you know that was always my thought but but the input gear you know is a different story you know there's no question about it um, I think that's again changing now and certainly with you know with the with the gear that we're all looking around right now the red gear yeah uh, I I. I Anyways, we can get into yeah, that. Yeah, we'll get into that. Not even just the red gear, though. Once we get into that, it's a lot of the gear. You know, a lot, there's a lot of great gear available right now. No question. Yeah, we're we're in a very in, uh, new time, which is which is great for all of us. I can't imagine the of perspective of someone though coming in just to today having all these right. tools. Like it's so amazing because, yeah. and I think it's great. I yeah. think it's I think it's wonderful to come in and just have everything at your fingertips. Because at the end of the day, it's all about the art and trying to get it happening and so the process is important i'm sure i don't want to say anything that i did i have no regrets about the path or anything like that but there was a lot of frustration and for me it's always been about you know i just want to get the idea down and get the goosebumps going and all the plugging in stuff and all the other stuff around it i do it i've always been the guy to do it but it's that's not why i like to do it right i I like the end result well i think we try to make tools now that you know speak to that that make it as easy as possible for it's at the risk of sounding like a commercial, but that's our goal is to make even the audio over IP stuff. It's got to be easy. It's got to be pl- almost plug and play or nobody will want to use it. No, qu- you know? no question. It's just the way it is. It's funny when I think about doing the studio in Nashville and, uh, you know, we're pulling out all this old audio cable and all these, you know, mic inputs and all these, you know, trying to figure out the signal flow for yeah. it. And, now that we're in Ethernet and we know we can have the preamp right next to the microphone and we don't need miles of cabling. And for me, again, being digital, it really simplifies, you know, designing this studio, a big studio, having a lot of input channels all in different rooms, but not having to throw all this, you know, cable all over the place, yeah. this analog cable all over the place. And and it's it frees you up a little bit, even as a system integrator mm-hmm. to a certain degree. You know, I think about that and I'm like, wow, I could just route that preamp here and I can have that for this person here and I can control my levels from you know, all these things that I think someone coming into it today would probably take for granted but yeah they take for granted they just assume it's it's been that way for a while right, right. which we know it wasn't yeah. so no. hey you know our suffering you know <laughs> is their benefit there we go do you think it's a benefit for you um, to be a networking professional and and also an audio engineer uh, to to easily make that leap over to audio over IP I do you know I think it's I never understood the connection um, between a creative and computers because it always seemed like right right brain, left brain, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And I remember reading this article. It was a Steve Jobs thing. It was probably 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, but it was about Apple hiring creative people. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why is a computer company, you know, a tech company hiring creative people? But I I see it even in my own company. So many people that are artists, there's something to do with that creativity. And that right brain and also that ability to really relate to the technology and the networking and the and the gear. There's something there. And obviously we know tons of people that do not have that, right? Yeah, yeah. But there is there's there's some some kind of link there that I haven't really fully worked out yet. But I used to be a little bit, eh, I'm a network guy and I'm a computer guy, but then am I really an artist? Is that valid? You know, and you know, all these arty people and but I, I feel very, very comfortable in it today. I think there's something definitely, some kind of symbiotic relationship there that, that you know, makes me feel good about it. So, 
like I'm in the right place uh, when it comes to that stuff. For me personally, when I first learned of audio over IP, it was a little confusing for me. But like you just said, when you when it clicks in your head that you're just converting in the box and then sending a digital signal, it's just kind of easy to grasp it at that point. It, it almost feels like for me like cheating because I remember even my first conversations with Matt Pliskin over you know at at, uh, at, at Focusrite. Uh, talking to him about it. And for me, the networking was the easiest thing in the world because, mm-hmm. you know, that's like you were asking before in the previous question, you know, that that is very intuitive to anyone that's worked in networking before. Everything has an IP address like a phone number sure. and where are those devices on the network and how do they interact? And if they can't see each other, it's probably a very simple thing to a network person. They can't ping. There's probably no network connectivity, something like that, if any of that makes any sense. But uh, I, I think I think the way that it's, trans, you know, that's gone that direction is nothing short of brilliant and i'm I'm so glad that it's gone that way especially for bigger studios and, and yeah like it's that. helped them out a lot incredible like you were talking about the you know less wiring less cable um we forget too about all the problems we did with grounding right with oh my god and the buzzes, more analog cable right? and and buzzes noise. you had flying around a studio and, yeah and there's just not that much of it anymore that's yeah that's, or, me, no, that's, or none yeah yeah or none <laughs> yeah yeah, to me, that's the big thing. Some people wax philosophically about the old days. You know, yeah. like I, I was talking to some young kids yesterday and they're listening to the 60s music. And yeah. it's funny that nostalgia thing, but I'm always, you know, when it comes to vinyl, like I don't get vinyl. Like right. I get people love it. You know, I know it's religious. We sell a lot of vinyl. My band does, Kidney Thieves. And, you know, but I just don't get it. Like I, this is the, if I want to make it sound scratchy and warm, I'll put a little plug in or right. I'll record it out a window and throw a mic on it or whatever I got to do. But, uh, I always find that a little strange, but I, but I get it. You know, people like that it's sur- a surprise and it's yeah. organic and you know, whatever it is. So, yeah. One of the things about vinyl that a lot of people don't get is it's not an analog recording. You know, it, it was, it, it was recorded into pro tools most likely. Right. And it wasn't tape. So, I mean, there's so much, there's so much to that, you know, yeah. that's all, that's probably another podcast, but yeah. uh, I have very strong opinions on that, but I will, I can, I can hold them for now. I think we could probably agree that you can hear the difference between an all analog vinyl and a, and a current. I, I, I just remember as a drummer, you know, buying Led Zeppelin two and playing it over and over and over and over again, obsessively, like most musicians being obsessive compulsive, like I was mm-hmm. and wearing it out and having to go buy another yeah. copy. And I was yeah. so yeah. pissed. I'm like, why yeah. is this wearing out? Like, yeah. you know, and I remember yeah. CDs came out and like, it's the greatest thing. Sean Bevan and I bought, you know, CD players literally the same week. He turned me on to this Magnavox CD player and we were both like, this is the greatest thing in the world. Like, <laughs> Oh my God. And Peter Gabriel yeah. security. Right. And right. it's just like mind boggling. And, and so I never left that. Like to me, that was like, those are the things that mark a really big impression on me. So then someone telling me, yeah, analog's great. When you hit a drumstick, it skips. It's great. You know, I'm like, <laughs> that's not for me. Yeah, sorry. How have the, the challenges that you faced in the audio industry changed from when you started compared to now? I think in the audio, when you say the audio industry specifically, you mean just in the, in general and gigs in general? Not really, know, or... not really gigs, more like in the recording sense of it. I mean, I think everything's less challenging today, right? Everything's just easier. I mean, the, yeah. the biggest change for me within a digital world came when, uh, and a, a good, another good recording friend of mine, John McCarthy, a big composer, we were talking about consoles and I just got rid of two Sony consoles that I had here, two digital Sony consoles. And I remember I had a pretty big Pro Tools rig and he said, well, why don't you just normal all your inputs to all your synths and all your mics and your drums and whatever you want, just plug it all into an input channel. And then I, you know, made this cause 20 years ago, but I made this 
you know, revelation. Oh my God. And then I just go into pro tools and select which input I want to use. Right. right? And right. I don't have to go unplug anything and plug something else in. And it says input one, but it's really this one here. And, you know, I remember, you know, uh, these nightmare chains of using samplers and having to bring up the sampler individually and then have that for the song and then hook that into MIDI and then have the MIDI, you know, and then have that sample yeah. at the right time and then change to another song. I mean, just, just opening up to and working on two projects. Sure. was such a big deal back in the day, you know, to set up all your synths and all the right presets and all the right patches and everything. So to me, again, that took me away from from being able to record the idea that I would have in my head. Yeah, so does. being able to just hit file open and everything comes in, your yeah. drums, your effects, your 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 everything that you came up with, I just personally find it much more creative than sort of this experimental cable, you know, jumble so yeah. i never liked that that then sysx throwing out sysx commands to all the synths i used to have 20 synths in this room and wow. you know <laughs> stacked up and everything would hopefully go right and it never really quite sounded the same you yeah. know that was always the comment like something's just a little off all right i'll just deal with it hated that yeah but everything's consistent now really really consistent and again just focused on getting the song or the idea yeah it you know, gets the there. creativity going right away i think so yeah, i don't think absolutely. there's anything beneficial i know they always say it's a long journey from no. beginning to end and you should enjoy the journey didn't love the journey that much you know yeah. did it you know like everyone else but didn't it wasn't that guy that might be the the artist in you that doesn't want to do the engineering but then you're also a great engineer so i see to me i love the engineering like the engineering is the song like the creating of the music i thank god read a couple articles when i was coming up and now podcasts right right but read other artists that said you're mixing all the time you know whenever you're getting a sound up you're mixing and when you're putting the bass in and i saw artists that would just sort of record you know what i would say just garbage you know the levels were terrible and they just threw everything down as quick as possible and then they hand it to a mixer and say hey make this sound good yeah I never appealed to me. I wanted everything. I wanted my rough mixes sounding really good because that got me. That got me. You know, my head got me to say, "Hey, this. I'm onto something good." Yeah. So I never understood the demo philosophy or anything like that. I always wanted to mix and have it be there. But again, I wanted to focus on the mix and not that Cakewalk was crashing. You know, every ten seconds. Yeah. You know, what? Uh, what's your history with Focusrite products? Uh, pretty recent, actually. I, I you know, I've, I've obviously. Um, been around the industry for a while. I remember AES uh, going with Zeev actually about four or five years ago uh, and looking at what you guys were doing over audio over uh, IP. Didn't really understand it. Yeah. Didn't see the application necessarily, but uh, the red devices were really pretty. Yeah. Uh, and Zeev got me into it uh, probably four years ago. And uh, once I really understood how it worked and got my hands on some stuff, which is really important as well. Um, seeing the big difference between just a USB device versus versus a networking device, um, no going back, you know. And I and I love that you guys are where you're at right now. It's wonderful. So yeah, I feel like we're in a in a good place and in a good time right now. You are. There was a lot of you know the protocols were there was a lot of juggling going around. You guys bet on Dante, which yeah. I thought was brilliant. And it's almost like Rednet and Dante now. The branding of that has been wonderful. And, yeah, we're and, very close with Odd Nate. Yeah, and have worked with them. Yeah, it's for huge. many many years. Yeah. No, but having a good relationship with Audinate has helped us design better products, you know. I would We're so imagine. close to them, we can, you know, bounce ideas back and forth and our engineering teams can work together and been a good relationship. Kind of shows that, you know, just that you, you know, your stuff works really well. Yeah. yeah. And if you're, you know, I know that just from being in the industry and the, and the tech industry as well. If you don't have a good vendor partnership, I call them strategic alliances or strategic partnerships, right? Right. If yeah. you're not really tight and both serving each other's needs that way, 
it gets loose and all of a sudden, you know, that, wow, that protocol doesn't really work. You should call the other guy, you know, it's probably their fault. And Mm -hmm. I don't feel that way at all. You know, when I talked to Matt and I talked to the the team over at Focusrite Pro, you know, if I have a problem or something like that, we're addressing, you know, it's one company, even though it's, you know, they're them and they have the protocol and and you guys, it it doesn't feel like that. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah, And they have that relationship. It's not just us. They have that relationship with a lot of the manufacturers that license, you know, Dante, it's a good protocol. They're doing well. It works. Everyone's doing well. It's good. When you see broadcast adopt it. Yeah, exactly. They're always last. When they have millions of dollars a minute on the line. Right. Then you know, it's, it's legit. Yep. So you and I have probably, been communicating for about two years now we've known each other i think yep um since you uh, i think you came to me through matt um he told me about the cool project you're doing uh with ron fair in nashville yep uh tell, tell us a little bit about what you have going on there sure um so my client uh and, and friend i will say ron fair um uh had been a very successful producer in los angeles for many many years still is and uh he actually was just here doing a adina menzel record and and still working on the high profile stuff, the amazing stuff. Um, but he decided to, uh, move shop to Berry Hill in Nashville, like a lot of, uh, amazing engineers and, uh, producers, uh, bought a old, uh, studio that was about 4,000 square feet. I think there was a religious something, church music, something in there, uh, recording studio. And we gutted that studio. So, I mean, literally gutted everything that was in that studio. It was a very typical old school analog studio. And, um, through doing it and working with Zeve at, at guitar center and, uh, and working with GC pro, those guys are amazing. Uh, we came up with a solution and sort of the system architecture for what we were going to do. And it all came around Dante and it all came around focus, right. And read that. And it just made a ton of sense. And it was actually easy for me to explain, to my client who does not really like, you know, engineering, does engineering, is a great engineer, but doesn't love it, but certainly appreciated some of the benefits of of the cabling, having the preamps be right next to the microphones like we were talking about before, the quality of being able to control everything remotely, uh, and the quality of the, of the preamps themselves. I, I don't think anyone ever doubted any of that. And so um, we designed that studio all around that. We, we have some analog gear in there, but very, very little. It whittled itself down pretty quickly when budgets get tighter mm-hmm. and magically analog gear sort of disappears a little bit, sure. which I've noticed in a lot of studio installs that we do. I'm not unhappy about that necessarily because I think some of the digital emulations and what, and what you know, is happening on the digital preamps are incredible today. Mm-hmm. And I think the focus, you know, on that um, has been great. So he's, he's, he's definitely, it's, it's a really positive thing there for that type of studio. Uh, more recently, you did a, a project with um, Justin Tranter here in West Hollywood. Yep, we're still doing it. Uh, I, yep. I remember something, because um, we did an article uh, with you on that, a press release. Um, and, and I remember, uh, and please correct me if I'm mistaken here, that you said you removed miles of copper cable. Was that was that, that project, or am I confusing that? Uh, that's Ron's, yeah. And that Ron's was Ron's. Studio. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Just, it's, and we have pictures of it. It's pretty funny of just yeah. pulling out you know these old patch bases that were like 64 XLRs into you know four Megami snakes 16 and 24 you know wow. snakes i did the same thing in my studio so we pulled out you know literally a pile of analog cabling that was probably five and a half feet tall wow. you know stacked up i mean it was insane i mean just heavy i still have a lot of it yeah you guys need a cable by the way at <laughs> least i got lots of analog cable for you it is amazing and it and it's a little depressing to be honest with you when you when you do that because the soldering and the artwork that goes into you know which most people yeah, could give a right 
crap about, but no. you know, I certainly appreciate it as, as an artist, but also as a studio installer, you know, I'm watching these incredible TT patch bays that were wired. I had nine bays, you know, in my little studio here, or, you know, this one had uh, 14 bays and it's a lot of cable. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of, you know, trying to address flexibility and being able to put something, patch something from here to here. Mm-hmm. You realize in a really to me, amazing way, it's all digital today. You know, mm-hmm. you don't need an analog patch bit. You really don't. You know, yeah. wire everything indirectly, digitally, you know, move it to where you need to move it to. Um, it sounds better. You don't yeah. need to break out a can of, uh, you know, cleaner spray and yeah. clean your TT cables. You don't need to go to, you know, a store and buy a $30 or $20 TT cable, you know? Uh, so I love that stuff. I don't, you know, that, that it's amazing to yeah, me. Yeah, Dante makes a great, turns into it's a great patch bay incredible yeah yeah incredible just by by what it is and a lot uh some of the synth players i know i've i've heard recently are going to rednet systems um just so they can keep their synths plugged in like like you were saying earlier you know it's just it's just another place that you can have everything centralized so you 100 percent. yeah so when that creativity strikes you know you're ready to go even live i mean you know i've seen a lot of live players now you know there was a time when it was in between keyboards and then like some people are even making dedicated computers for live but everything today yeah just you know run your mac and run your audio interface and if you're running a lot of it definitely run audio over ip super reliable as well i mean that's the other thing as well you have a no crash scenario you know when it comes to that stuff and and to me that's as an installer especially you know the last thing i want to do is leave and get the phone call that you know something's not right with the tape machine or something's not right in the board or i got a little noise on a fader or whatever and all that stuff and if it's set up correctly it, it generally just works yeah. always yeah. your home studio here um that we're in well you have it hidden really well thank uh, you thank <laughs> you i actually i, actually, I didn't show you my yeah my, my bathroom's my machine room ah, so got it. yeah we'll have to check that out after. i did actually i did when i when i redid this room recently sound and noise is everything to me i'm very very particular Mm -hmm. and it comes back to a story with sean bevan when he first came to this studio my the studio we're we're in right now we were mixing kidney thieves which is my band been uh together with uh, for many years and he came into the room and i had the computers in the room and i had the monitors and i had two mix areas it was an insane amount of equipment in one room and he walks in the room and he's you know mixes are pretty much ready to go and he says uh you know it's too noisy in here and i go what do you mean he goes i just i can hear all the computers and all the hard drives and you got to fix this and then he just left <laughs> so, wow, and it really was that dramatic you know at least in my brain you know the way i think about it <laughs> and i'm like uh-oh you know what do we do now so we just we literally it was like three weeks we put everything in the bathroom redid everything you know full time i had three people helping me do it wow and uh, came back in, and it sounded like this. It sounded like the room that you're listening to right now, zero noise floor. Yeah. Um, there's there's nothing. Uh, we tuned it down pretty flat to 30 hertz, and uh, worked with some great people to help me, you know, figure all figure out yeah. the acoustics and learn a lot about that myself back in the day. And that's carried over in every studio we do. So when when I went to go do the recent one last year, uh, the recent redo of the studio with the Focusrite gear, I was like, well, you know, I bet everything's really quiet today, and it should be fine. I'll put everything in the room. Wouldn't it be great just to have the computer right there and I can, you know, fix it and deal with it. I don't need a separate room. And sure enough, I went through the same thing. And I, I, it was, I had the fan from the, from the, uh, sound card chassis and I had the three computers. I run three PCs and they're making noise, even though they're brand new and quiet. And I got my Mac, but the Mac was fine, but then the backup hard drive was whining and, 
it's all cumulative. You know, when you have sure. a lot of different yeah. gear like that, you know, if you have a little tiny studio, it's fine. But if you have 10 pieces of gear that have fans, they're going to make noise. And at some point, you know, for us picky people, that's no. going to bother me. So I moved everything back in again. So let's talk more about, I guess, audio over IP. And as you've designed systems over the last few years and rooms, different rooms and set up for different people i'm assuming audio over ip has become more and more the backbone of of the new installs besides rednet besides focus right i mean what are there any other audio over ip products i guess uh, that you're you you use that you think about or sure um, any cool stuff that you like or i i think the analog uh the audio net i, I make sure i'm pronouncing it right audio this stuff here sorry oh Audnate. yeah Audinate. Yeah, yeah, yeah i knew yeah, i was yeah. pronouncing yeah, it yeah they're, they're they have their own Oh, yeah. AVIO. That's when you buy the box and you don't know how it's pronounced, <laughs> but you just go with it for years. Um, but pretty incredible just to be able to plug in uh, anything to so anywhere and be on the So little network. small. Yeah, they make the little dongles. Yeah. yeah, the dongles. Yeah. yeah. Um, so basically, yeah, it's an analog uh, dongle that converts to, or, or digital. Yeah, that's yeah. an AES one right there. Yeah. So when I look at a piece of gear today and I'm going to you know do an install, I always look for the connectivity. And I personally, again, really prefer yeah. digital connectivity on something because I don't, I'm not looking to color the sound. doesn't mean that that's a bad thing, but you just got to be aware of how that's going to work. And it doesn't always work. So uh, that's a perfect example of I had a Helix, a Line 6 Helix unit um, that I was installing. And normally I would just plug in the analog like I think 90% of the people do. But I looked, and it obviously has AES for digital outputs, XLR outputs, and I saw the Audinate product. It works incredible. And yeah, so good. my mentality, you know, when I go into a studio or I, or I do a job is to try to say, how do I get everything on the network, so to speak? You know, how do I get things connected? And for me, the flexibility of being able to have things in that world and not have multiple worlds, multiple MIDI, mm -hmm. multiple analog audio, you know, really sort of focus on Dante and, and having it be in RedNet is a really, really big deal. So a device like that, very, very simple, inexpensive, obviously, gets me into my Focusrite uh, you know, world, yeah. and, and then everything's controlled there. That's one example. That was the kind of what we were hoping to get to, is that you're, you're thinking audio over IP. Always. Inputs, outputs, everywhere. It just, it just makes it easier. The, the truth is that it makes it easier for me to explain to a client you know, how to, how this routing is going to work because mm -hmm. it, you know, uh, setting it up and, and figuring out and what we call system architecting it and making it yeah. putting it together. I'm not expecting anyone right off the bat to take a studio with, you know, with whatever hundred inputs and figure out how to route all that and make that work. You are going to want somebody that understands how to do that, but using it, you're going to leave and they need to know how it works. So you're going to try to set up a workflow that really makes sense. And I've seen with, with my clients, at least that when I show them, you know, the focus right, the control panel and how to go in and do the routing and do the changing. It's very intuitive. It's a little pull down list and say, oh, I want this to go here and mm -hmm. I want this to go here. And that to me is the key. It's is a complicated stuff. Sure. But is it easy once it's in, installed correctly and done? Absolutely. And the fact that all the manufacturers are kind of getting it and coming around to it, those standards are great for us. You know, yeah. we love standardization. So it's obviously becoming, you know, the de facto standard sure, for audio yeah. over IP. We don't have all these different protocols. I think Yamaha recently came over to it or somebody. I, I, Yamaha has been with it a long time, actually, but there are other, some yeah, device. There are other manufacturers that have jumped on. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and so I see it almost as the default at this yeah. point, and, and that makes it easier for certainly for an installer um, to get things right and connect all the gear, you yeah. know, up and, and the more stuff that works on it. It would be interesting to see if it comes into synths and other things at some point. You know, you think it, it's it's definitely a possibility. Yeah, you'd think. Yeah. You know, but 
and, and pedals and guitar pedals and things like that. Yeah, all that stuff. So yeah, yeah. The- theoretically, how cool would a pedal board be if it was all Dante? Yeah, you know. You know, you're on the network, man. Yeah, move your pedals around, right? Yeah, yeah. move your order around and put, you know, yeah, easily all Pretty that sets. stuff. Yeah, I think we're right at the cusp of it, right? We're really right at the beginning, even though it feels like it's been around for a while. The fact that it's kind of sorting itself out almost as a standard, just like MIDI. You know, I'm yeah. mm-hmm. old enough to remember when MIDI was like the new thing, right? And uh, once it sorted itself out, that was the whole '80s connectivity was all based around MIDI. And I, I feel that way with audio over IP. Like it's really, you know, and 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 specifically Dante and, and RedNet, you know, for, for mm-hmm. me, for my purposes, for sure. So to me, it sounds like you discovered audio over IP and, and Dante at least about four years ago is what you were saying. So you've kind of been more of a recent adopter of the technology. Um, was that recent? How, how long has, has Dante been around? Oh, I don't know the exact dates, but I know when I first started with Focusrite, it was 2012 when we released RedNet. So we ha- we had been developing it a couple of years before that. And it was really new. I mean, honestly, like people like me, like I, I, I definitely read about it and saw it. But the truth is that, you know, we audio people move pretty slow, especially yeah. with its big projects Absolutely, like that, right? Yeah. You, it's We're all conservative when it comes to it. And there was a lot of, you know, learning curves on it. And there were a lot of, you know, there was a lot of hurt in the early days for sure. So, you know, um, but it's reached this maturity now mm-hmm. that I think is – you know, no doubt, you know, it's, it's, it's mainstream at this point. So how do you uh, keep yourself on the cutting edge of audio technology? I read everything. I just gravitate towards, uh, right now it's mostly blogs, a lot of blogs. I, I still subscribe to every magazine. I was actually reading pro sound and news the other day and I saw an article that said summers and I'm like, Oh, there's another guy with my name. And then it was the article that, that, <laughs> that we did uh, a little self-serving there. I was like, Hey, that's me. Um, but I, I do I, I read everything I I, I loved um, there's five blogs I read probably every morning um, uh, all kinds of technology things I like to know there's a natural curiosity to the you know to people that do this that they want to know um, and I've seen people that definitely positively do not want to know but I am definitely I like to be in the know so and you mentioned earlier um, some podcasts that you listen to what uh, what audio podcast do you listen to um i like uh i, I like the pro tools experts for sure mm-hmm. um i think i think uh, they do an amazing job what about podcasts in general do you have any any favorites that stand out i know i don't listen to any audio podcasts but i have a few favorites so i'm i don't know are you are you like that as well yeah i um uh, you know and this is probably the business side of me to a certain degree i i really like how i built this i've listened mm-hmm. to it you know probably since its inception and being an entrepreneur and yeah. myself in the audio world and the technology world um i find that very inspiring and and very interesting it's also produced immaculately so i would tell anyone that wants a podcast cuz i get a lot of questions i was originally a radio tv guy in college and and was locked in a studio but studied a ton of radio tv and and i take for granted some of the things that they do but it's absolutely brilliant they're all their all their mics are perfect their music cues are incredible their their the writing's amazing guy Roz is a great you know really interesting narrator so if i was doing a podcast i would and i've told this to multiple people that you know that do podcasts i would study that podcast and from the production level the timing of it the way they do things because i'm always shocked when i get podcasts from friends or other things and how unbelievably awful they are. And <laughs> I'm like, you know, there's some basic things that you need to do that will really make it more appealable to humans, you know, if, <laughs> if you care about that kind of thing. So I've learned a lot about podcasting just from listening to other ones. And, uh, and Absolutely. you know, I've become quite 
passionate about the market in general and people that do podcasts. It's it's great. Uh, we appreciate you talking to us today, Bruce, and inviting us into your studio. Um, is there anything that we missed? Um, we'd love to hear about any projects that you're working on or anything that you'd like to promote or talk about. Sure. Um, so my my passion is always my band uh, uh, with my singer, Free Dominguez, called Kidney Thieves. Yeah. Uh, KidneyThieves.com. And we... Uh, uh, we're always doing a little bit of something here or there. We had a big push. We did a big Kickstarter campaign uh, a few years ago uh, that went uh, really well. Um, so it's always a, a, a important project to, I think, both of us to a certain degree. Um, we've always focused on trying to create music that was interesting. So technology, for me, from my perspective, always played a really big uh, big part of Kidney Thieves. Um all the bleeding edge, cutting edge stuff that I've ever gotten into was really because of the band. I wanted to create original sounds. I wanted to have, you know, my samples be unique. I wanted to record in weird ways. A lot of that inspiration was from Sean Bevan, from Nine Inch Nails, from these yeah. bands that I followed for a long time. I've worked with Trent when we were really young, a long, long time ago. Uh, but it's always been, he's been someone that's been incredibly inspirational to me from that creative point of view, something I could really relate to. So, uh, you know, check it out. We'll probably have some other tracks coming in. We're always writing, always working, but uh, never in a hurry to release anything. So, what was the dot com again? Kidneythieves.com. Kidneythieves.com. Yeah, it's fun. It's it's amazing to me that you know the industry's really changed. We we thought we were kind of done. You know, sometimes we think it's like, yeah, maybe it's the end. And we did a Kickstarter campaign and raised a bunch of money and fans that are probably yeah. you know similar to our age or in the same group and maybe some new fans obviously uh you know discovering it's really important to them and we went out and did it Free's an incredible driving force uh in making it happen and uh and it's still something that's you know really really fun to do very inspiring you know to see new stuff and buy a new piece of gear and come yeah. up with it and go oh that sounds weird i did the other day i'm, I'm always toying with writing a pop song or doing pop music, but I always end up with something weird. Like <laughs> it's just, I, for whatever reason, you know, whatever happens, I, I was, I was listening to pop music and something Maroon Five or something like that, yeah. and and Halsey, and I immediately got into five. I'm writing something ten four five four some weird drum <laughs> thing, funny. and it was like totally wrong. And I'm like, all right, this will probably work. So it's it's just I'm driven to that. So I don't I don't know. It's important. That's funny you say pop. Did you um did you see the you mentioned Trent and Nine Inch Nails a little bit? Did you see the Black Mirror episode with Miley Cyrus? Oh, I didn't. I didn't. Is it, Have is you heard great? about this? Yeah, I did. It was pretty great when yeah. they changed all of uh, uh Trent's songs into pop songs yeah it was yeah it was an interesting show yeah and, and I love that he put his stamp of approval on that of course and man. then sold t-shirts he's a big pop guy man he's love a, him. he's always yeah. been a big big uh pop guy so even back in the day the project we worked on was a little thing in 80 I think it was 88 or 89 yeah. in the studio we both worked in the same studio uh me oh, Sean cool. and and Trent oh that's cool and oh, wow. uh and it was incredible for me you know i just didn't have a clue but we were i was just graduating or i think i just graduated and it was like the first year out and uh we worked on this band i think there's a bad video of the song that we worked on as well uh, together yeah. with the with the band and uh and uh but it was an amazing experience he had trent was the guy that had sound tools so he had the first version of pro tools yeah. I think his grandparents helped him fund it or something like that. Mm -hmm. So we'd come in and we'd watch the digital waveforms and the editing and Sean and I would look at each other like, this is the coolest thing we've ever seen. Immediately gravitated to it. You yeah. know, that was just, again, back to the digital thing, but very, very much a, a huge inspiration, uh, you know, to us, you know, when it yeah. came to that stuff. The first emulator and 
Emacs and, you know, everything sampling wise, you know, was, was incredible. So we, we loved all that stuff. He actually ended up playing keyboards on Sean Bevan and myself had a band called Odd Man Out and Trent played all the keys. And in return, uh, Sean did all the mixing for the demos for Pretty Hate Machine. So oh, that's wow. a true story. Oh, yeah. That's great. Wow, that's and great. I remember, cool and, the, and the funny thing is I remember listening to uh, the keyboard parts for the first time on these songs that Sean and I wrote. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not so sure. Like, and I listened to him back, you know, recently or now or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, a genius of Trent, you know. But I <laughs> yeah. just, you know, you don't know, you yeah. know. Sometimes, uh, you know, it took me a second, but but it, we we left everything in, and it was all, you know, great for our stuff. So, so you're you're a drummer. How much now do you not play your kit? It's a great question, man. Yeah, are you a drummer? No, but you know, I always wonder that because it's easy for me to sit down and write a song as not being a drummer. Yeah, and play around with playing with different types of percussion and and samples and and cutting things up and doing all that i I always wondered if it's easy for a drummer to do that or do they still want to just you know it's always been you know for me it's always been both when we did the last record um the last kidney thieves uh record i brought up the drum kit and i set it up right where we're all sitting right now so right in the middle of the studio was a drum kit you Mm -hmm. know pretty big drum kit and then free had a little vocal booth right there and it's the first time we ever did everything all in the same room um, but we wanted to kind of do that. It was important for her to have the intimacy to throw her in the closet back there. Nobody liked that. She didn't like that at all. So she was here. Um, we set up the drum kit live here. It was important for me from a creative point of view to be able to just go sit on the drums, even yeah. if I was going to go tap a beat in or do something. Sure. I'd like to sometimes work it out by actually just playing. So it's a luxury, but if I can do it and it's set up, it makes me feel good as an artist to be able to create on the drums that way. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the times the way my brain works, I'll tap beats out and just start cause it's easy. But during that record, specifically one of the drums, I'd play a part and then I'd say, yeah, maybe this will sound better with just a really, really tight, you know, tight sequenced part mm-hmm. and I'll go tap it on the pads yeah. now and I'll emulate what I recorded. And then sometimes I'll just record it and then chop it up and chop it in the samples. And then yeah. sometimes I just leave it alone and play yeah, it live, yeah. right, you know? Right. So it really depends. But I always thought that was a, I remember Peter Gabriel and I remember yeah. uh, uh, even with Phil and Genesis and all that stuff and the drum machine playing along talking heads, drum machine playing along with the drums. And I always just thought that was cool. So I've yeah. always tried to do a hybrid of that. Yeah. But I do I do actually miss I haven't had the drums up here in probably a year and a half and and I I miss hammering. I yeah, love, I, I love, love the play. hybrid thing. I think it's yeah. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. That's great that you're not limiting yourself. Yeah, I never you know, just being a purist has never been no. my my sort of MO at all. I to, like to experiment. It's my opinion then that's how you extend a career is you don't limit yourself. You you don't say I'm an analog guy or I'm a digital guy. You just do what sounds best to you. No, it's 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 what you know. We were first talking about is you know listening to what is coming through those speakers and just whatever you want to create. You know, I have a turntable somewhere over there. There's a turntable <laughs> there. I've done tons of sampling off of turntables because I like the way it sounded and whatever. Sure. Um, but again, going through the two speakers, I just want to hear. I want that to be what everyone hears. You know, that's as an artist, that's important yeah. to me. I don't want them to hear it in a terrible way or or something like that you know but however they want to hear it it's fine yeah i guess tell us a little bit more about your company sir inc sir inc yeah um uh it stands for strategic information resources we are a managed service provider we call it a msp so we basically uh handle everything from security for clients to uh network servers cloud storage cloud everything it's a super buzzword but Mm -hmm. Basically, we look at someone's IT and we handle everything, you know, what they need to do. That also comes over to the audio world when we set up studios for people as well. 
Um, but the interesting thing is some of the studios that we set up, they also need security. Um, everything they do, they send all their files digitally. Yeah. Everyone's interconnected today. And for us just to kind of set up a studio with a default setup uh, and, and not have any kind of firewall or any kind of you know right. really great wireless or Wi-Fi 6 or anything you know installed in their studio, it was a really limited thing back in the day. So uh, being a network professional and being trained in that, having a team of staffers in that, we do Macs, we do PCs, we do uh, big server installs, but we really focus on networking and security. And that's where the Dante thing, you know, the carryover with the Focusrite Red and Dante thing really cuts over. Um, we're networking specialists, which whenever you hear networking, security, all the same thing. So we make sure that we, we set up our clients so that they have a good sense of security that someone's not going to come in and take their work product or, you know, or their, their work or whatever they're going to do. Yeah. It's very I, important now. Yeah. I, th I think it's interesting. I think a lot of people in the audio world don't really care about it too much. Like if the song gets released, eh, big deal. It's out there. Yeah. You know, Madonna had her issue recent, uh, probably two or three years ago where her whole record, right. you know, got out early and whatever. I almost don't think people really care anymore, but the funny thing about it is if you have a mix that's not very good that gets out or, you know, or you're in the really preliminary stages, artists really want to feel secure. You know, I work with yeah. singers all the time and they want to feel confident that, hey, this is intimate. You know, I'm going to take a chance here and try something. You don't want it going out either out of tune or just sounding terrible or, you know, because it would get out on the internet and we've all seen that, mm -hmm. you know, when the back, back door tapes, you know, come out yeah. with someone singing and they didn't know they were being recorded or whatever it is and they sound terrible. I mean, it can really ruin somebody's career or whatever. So yeah. we still take that really serious no matter what we do studios that we do we make sure that we secure them always um, it's really boring but it's really no, important it's so, not, yeah it's not no it is it. now yeah yeah ip is important my, my favorite quote is from one of my clients i mean if uh, they don't own it 100 percent, you know what i mean if yeah, somebody else is, for sure they're in trouble then they're in trouble yeah i had a client come up to me and they were they were uh in a situation that i thought was pretty vulnerable and i wanted to sell them some some firewalls and some extra gear and some backup and whatever. And I said, uh, I said, uh, you know, you know, there's so much, don't you read in the news every day? There's like threats and people are logging in and it's a random thing. You got kids in the, you know, and, and Russia hacking in and China and, you know, and, and there's so many threats. And if you got shut down, your whole business would be done. You know, you got all these people here and everyone's working away. When you, aren't you nervous about this stuff? And he goes, I'm not nervous at all. And I go, why aren't you nervous? And he goes, cause I got you. <laughs> I go, all right. That's, that's that's it that's a great quote right there yeah so you're trusted was, by your clients yeah. and that's that's what's most important i think yeah you know it was it was uh i i saw he was sleeping very well i was not sleeping that well at the time but he was sleeping very well so well you good. were you were losing sleep for him it sounds like exactly exactly <laughs> well bruce summers sir inc undercurrent studios kidney thieves uh we appreciate you being on the focus right pro podcast today it's um, a pleasure Thank and you. Hopefully we'll uh, come back and visit you again soon. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Focusrite Pro podcast. This podcast is produced and hosted by me, Dan Hughley, for Focusrite. Music is by Simon Poulton. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Join our conversation on social media at Focusrite Pro. For more information, please visit our website at pro.focusrite.com.